Here's another inspiring message from Northside Community Church, Sydney. Well, it's that time of year, isn't it, when we take stock uh, of the year that's been and we think about our hopes for the year that is to come. Uh, Last year, what a year it was. Um, It wasn't a bad year for everybody, but by the sounds of things on my Facebook feed over the past week, uh, it was a rough year for a lot of people. Um, It was a year that started like all years start. It started with hope for newness. It started with hope for change and hope for transformation, for things to be better, for things to be as they ought to be. for fulfilment and for satisfaction. And a lot of great things happened in the last year. I found out yesterday that it was the year that Liberia was officially cleared of Ebola. It was the year that humpback whales were removed from the endangered species list. And it was the year that world hunger reached its lowest point in 25 years. Great stuff, hey? There were some great, some good news stories in 2016. Um, But as this image that came up on my Facebook feed illustrates, I don't know if you guys saw this one, uh, me on December 31, 2015. Man, 2016 is so going to be my year, narrator. 2016 would not, in fact, be anyone's year. (laughs) Uh, It was a year as well where high hopes um, turned into incredible disappointments for a lot of people. I think that the thing that makes this is the commas around in fact. I think that that just makes it really funny. Anyway, that's just me because I like language. Anyway, moving on. That was a complete tangent. It was a year where high hopes turned into disappointments for a lot of people. Globally, we saw hurricanes, earthquakes, bombings, plane crashes, humanitarian crises, war, major political shifts, the deaths of so many pop culture icons. Nationally, closer to home, we saw bushfires and storms, terrorist threats, theme park tragedies. And in our own community, we lost people we loved and we felt pain in marriages, in health and in our jobs. Now, as Christians, as people of faith in God, uh, the people of confidence in what we hope for, and assurance about what we do not see, as the writer to the Hebrew says in chapter 11, verse 1. Um, what do you do when things don't go according to plan, when things don't go as you'd hoped they would? And when the disappointments of the year start to shake your confidence in God, the one who gives you hope for the year to come? What do you do when you're looking down the barrel standing of, the, of the new year, standing in between the year that has been and the year that's to come, when your confidence in the God who gives you hope for the year to come is being rattled by the disappointments of the year that's been? What do we do with that as the people of God? What do you do when God seems to have said one thing but done another? Where was God when the things that we longed for didn't come to pass? when you think he's so late that all hope is gone and you're not sure how you can possibly keep holding on. Now, as I said, we haven't all had a terrible year. Some of us have had great years. Um, But I'm sure that we can all recognise that we've all experienced disappointment of some kind uh, in the year that's been, however big or small. Things we've been praying and hoping for that haven't come to pass. I don't actually remember a year that's ended with such strong social sentiment um, around disillusionment about life and the world and inevitably woven in there about God. Just look at Facebook and the radio, listen to the news. There's just this overwhelming sentiment about what an awful year um, it has been. And I haven't heard very much mention of hope over the past year, over the past week. I don't know about you. 
And so as we stand on the threshold of this new year in between an old one and a new one with disappointments of 2016 very firmly still in our hand, it was only 18 hours ago, (laughs) and our aching dreams for 2017 in the other hand, I very deliberately want to speak um, over the next couple of weeks into how it is that we move forward into a new year in a way that we have hope in a way that we actually get to experience the full and rich and transforming and life-changing life that we were born to live and that is possible for us in God. It does have to do with hope. You see, when we're disappointed, we often have one of two responses. The first is that we give up hope. We become hardened and disillusioned and we abdicate responsibility for our lives and we live in despair Um, When the thing that we've been hoping for and waiting on God for doesn't come to pass, never happens, it can be so much easier to give up hope than to continue to hold on to it. We all know that to be true. We kind of become like babies who stop crying because nobody ever comes to them in their distress. We shut off from ourselves, we shut off from others, we shut off from God. That's one of our responses. The other is that we hold on to hope, but we place it in all the wrong things. We throw ourselves into the try, try again approach of New Year's resolutions, desperate for the possibilities of of change and transformation that a new year offers to us um, and that it promises to us. We tell each other, 2017 is going to be your best year yet. I don't know how we can possibly know that, but we have our hope somehow in the universe, whatever that means, or in ourselves or in other people or in wealth or in status. All the things that 2016 has just shown us are bound to disappoint, are bound to let us down. The problem, of course, with both of these approaches, either giving up hope or putting our hope in the wrong things, is that neither get us what we yearn for, the desires that God has put in us for, trans- for transforming life, full and abundant life. And neither of these options provide us with a sustaining, enduring hope for the year ahead. So over the next two weeks, we're going to ask this question. How do we move forward into 2017 in a way that we can actually taste the life we yearn for? that we were born to live, that each one of us was born to live. We're going to be looking at a story in John chapter 11 where Jesus' friend Lazarus gets sick and dies. It's a story of disappointment. It's a story of unmet expectations. It's a story of delays delays from Jesus where his character and his actions seem to go in two different directions. He seems to say one thing and do another. This story provides us with the most wonderful and enduring hope for us as we set out into this new year. And we're going to unpack that more next week. Um, But before we do that this week, I want us to ask this. How do we reconcile our disappointment in how God acts with who God is? And specifically when our hope in him is rocked by our disappointments, how can we know that he still loves us? So I'm going to read a part of this passage. Um, it's, a, it's in Luke chapter, uh, John chapter 11. It's fairly long, so we're going to come back to it next week. Feel free to have a read when, uh, at home. I'm just going to read a portion to it and a portion of it in the middle, and then I'll give you the backstory. On his arrival, 
uh, Jesus found that Lazarus had already been, uh, John chapter 11 from verse 17. On his arrival, Jesus found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Now, Bethany was less than two miles from Jerusalem and many Jews had come to Martha and Mary to comfort them in the loss of their brother. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him, but Mary stayed at home. Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But I know that even now God will give you whatever you ask. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha answered, I know he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? Yes, Lord, she replied. I believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God, who is to come into the world. And she goes and calls her sister Mary, who then comes, in out, comes out and talks to Jesus. Um, the backstory to this is that Jesus' friends, their siblings, Lazarus, Martha and Mary, they live in this town called uh, Bethany, which is two miles east of Jerusalem. And what's happening in Jerusalem at the time is that there's all this tension mount, mounting against Jesus and animosity that's mounting amongst the Jewish leaders against Jesus uh, because they don't like the popularity that he's gaining and they're threatened and they, their power feels threatened, basically. Um, Lazarus gets sick and their sisters send a message to Jesus to say, Lord, the one you love is sick, basically a cry for help to him. Um, and it's a big deal that they, cry, that they cry out for help because they know that this is a dangerous place for Jesus to come. And when Jesus finally does come, it's, it's him knowing that that's basically going to seal his fate. When he gets to Jerusalem, um, that's the, the religious leaders from then on plot his death, um, which then happens. So it's a big deal for him to choose to go to Jerusalem, um, to go to Bethany when he gets there. But his response when he initially gets the news from the sisters is puzzling. He says to his disciples who were with him when he gets the news in verse 4, This sickness will not end in death. No, it is for God's glory so that God's Son may be glorified through it. And then stranger still in verses 5 and 6, Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was for two more days. Curious. And he makes some more cryptic comments to his disciples about how you don't stumble when you're walking in the light, unlike when you're walking in the dark, and says that he's going to wake Lazarus up from his sleep. And when they don't understand that, he spells it out in verse 14, Lazarus is dead, and for your sake I am glad I was not there so that you may believe, but let us go to him. And they head on down to Bethany. The passage is clear that Jesus both loved his friends and held off going to them for a couple of days. How do you reconcile Jesus' love with his staying away when he heard that his friend was sick? How do we reconcile Jesus' love for us with the delays and unmet expectations that we've experienced this year? You know, I feel for Lazarus' sisters, to be honest. When things start going badly, they cry out to Jesus for help. They, they put their hope in him and cry out for help, appealing to who he had revealed himself to be, which is loving. They say, Lord, the one you love is sick. They appeal to his character. And we know what it's like to be Martha and Mary in this story, right? When we get the diagnosis, when we have the fight, when our job is at risk, we call out to Jesus for help because we believe him to be loving 
and because we have our hope in him. We know the pain of waiting and of disappointment as well when he doesn't show up and when it seems that he's too late. What's curious about this story is that when the message gets to Jesus, it's his love for his friends that motivated him to stay where he was for two more days, only going to them in his own time, unhurried and very deliberate. And then hoping in Jesus and waiting for him to come through, their brother dies. You can imagine what that might do to your confidence in Jesus. And in fact, maybe you do know what that does to your confidence in Jesus. Once Jesus arrives, Martha and Mary have two very different approaches to Jesus out of their disappointment. Martha, who's probably the older and who we know from other stories, uh, is more active than her sister Mary. Uh, She goes out to meet him, expressing her disappointment to him, saying, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. You can probably insert your own if only. God, if only you had been here, if only you had showed up, if only you had changed things, then fill the blanks. And yet she still trusts him for her future because she knows him and she has decided that she's not going to let her circumstances determine her belief in who Jesus is. She says, but I know that even now, even though in her eyes he has shown up late, even now God will give you whatever you ask. Her sister Mary stays away from Jesus when she finds out that he's in town, only going out to him when he calls to her. Like her sister, she expresses her disappointment to Jesus in exactly the same words, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But that's where it ends for her. She doesn't express her trust in Jesus for the future, her hope in him for the future. And I wonder if for some of us tonight, um, we're a bit like Mary. It's a bit hard to hold on to hope for 2017 in light of the disappointments of 2016. Because your disappointments have called into question the goodness and the love of God, who you had hoped in. Not being able to understand the timing of God has caused you to question his heart. I want to tell you tonight that God's love and your disappointments are not incompatible. It can be so easy to believe, God, if you loved me, then you would do this in that timing. From our perspective, God's delays are at odds with his love for us. But this passage curiously teaches us quite the opposite, that his love for us is the motivation for his delays. Now that's a lot to swallow. Uh, So let me try to explain. And thankfully, Jesus helps us to start to understand in verses 9 to 10. He says to his disciples, Are there not 12 hours of daylight? Anyone who walks in daylight doesn't stumble because there's plenty of light from the sun. Walking at night, he might very well stumble because he can't see where he's going. Part of the reason we can have a hard time comprehending that God's love for us would motivate his delays is that we come to our circumstances with a human perspective, a darkened human lens, and God comes from his all-knowing perspective in his perfect light. 
Put it this way, Martha and Mary misinterpreted how Jesus' love for them would play out. In their human thinking, they think that because he loved them, he would come when they thought he should. It's almost like their trust was in how they believed Jesus should act as opposed to being in who they knew him to be. To our minds, as we stumble along and try to walk in the dark according to our own human thinking, the love and the goodness of God are called into question when he acts outside of how we think a loving God ought to act. We stumble when we try to walk in the dark. Now the problem, of course, with living according to our own human thinking and not seeking the wisdom and perspective of God is this, in the words of N.T. Wright, if you try to steer your own course by your own understanding, you'll trip up because you'll be in the dark. But if you stick close to him and see the solution from his point of view, then even if it means days and perhaps years of puzzlement, wondering why nothing seems to be happening, you will come out at the right place in the end. In other words, our all-knowing, all-powerful God has a perspective and a schedule that is different to ours and seeking the light of his wisdom and perspective helps us to reconcile his love with our delays, his love with his delays that we experience. It helps us to trust his heart when we can't see what his hands are doing. And it helps us to walk confidently and with hope into the future. After all, Jesus' delays are not final. He is faithful to fulfill his promises and he arrives in his own time and in his own way. He made time and he's never late for his appointments. Now you might be thinking, isn't it just cruel for Jesus not to come through on the things that we're hoping in him for? How can that be a better expression of love than coming through on the things that we hope for when we want them? How can holding off and allowing us disappointment on some really big things sometimes be more loving than coming through when we're hoping he will? Well, in order to consider how loving something is, have you ever thought about the effects of of love on the one who is being loved, on a person who receives love, Someone who receives love is strengthened and bolstered and healed and safe. Those are all signs of love. Uh, Love gives birth to life. The output of love is life. And so the goal of Jesus' love for us is to bring, uh, bring fullness of life to us. And so he chooses the course of action that will ultimately be most life giving for us. We might not think so at the time. It might not feel like it at the time. But from God's all-knowing perspective, if you're experiencing a delay or a disappointment from him, or if he hasn't come through like you hoped he would, just maybe he is allowing a disappointment in order that you might ultimately experience what he longs for you to know, which is full and satisfying and transforming life in him. If that's the case, how does that work? How do we enter into that life? How does that become our experience? 
And it's by experiencing his presence with us in the midst of our disappointment, in the midst of of the mess of human life by trusting in him. Everything we yearn for in this new year that God has put in us, wholeness and restoration and full and abundant life, all those things are found in his presence with us in the midst of the messiness of human life. It's being with Jesus that brings us what we yearn for in this new year and that brings us hope to see us through the new year. Arriving in this town, Bethany, four days after Lazarus has died, sets the scene for this family to experience the most powerful miracle as Jesus, who is God enfleshed, comes right alongside them into the mess and the ugliness of death. You know, in ancient thought, the spirit of a person who had died was thought to hover over their body for three days and then after that to leave. And so there was the, the idea was that the spirit would hover there in case there was some hope of resuscitation of this, of this person for three days. The fact that Jesus waits four before he comes means that all other hope is gone. And when he finally raises this man back to life, how much more glorious with this blackened wall that he shines this light against, how much more brightly does that light shine when there was no other hope but for him to come and bring life? If Jesus had left straight away when he got the message, he still would have arrived two days after Lazarus had died. But by waiting for, there is no question that he is the only one in whom our hope is found. He is the only one who can bring beauty from ashes. He is the only one who can bring hope from hopelessness. He is the only one who can bring life from death. He shows us that there is no limit to his power, this Jesus. Even death submits to him. This glorious Jesus who we worship. True life, the life that we yearn for, is found only in this Jesus, in walking side by side with him, in faith in him. The purpose of Jesus' delay, motivated by love, was that Lazarus' sisters might, and, and the disciples with him and all the Jews who were gathered there watching this miracle take place might experience the power of his presence in their pain. They might see him more clearly and believe in him and then therefore truly live. In verse 25, he says to Martha, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? We have a God whose timing and whose ways are very different to our own. He is a God who loves us, who longs for us to experience life in him and his life-giving power and presence in our lives. And sometimes he uses delays and disappointments and unmet expectations to provide an opportunity to bring that to our lives, an opportunity to to be really present in the deepest parts of us if we would choose to believe and to trust him. Can I encourage you tonight, don't lose hope. 
If you are on the precipice of losing hope after a really hard year, if your disappointments and your unmet expectations have caused you to, if your hope in God is shaking, if your hope for life is shaking, don't lose hope. There is a saviour ready for you, to, who is, his hand is outstretched, ready for you to say, yes, I trust you. I want to experience your presence and your power in the midst of my pain. He is ready to be there with you, that you might experience fullness of life in him, in the midst of what you're going through, in the midst of your disappointment, right in the deepest parts of your pain. This is not a God who operates differently from us in order to bring grief to our lives. It's in order to bring life to us. Has anyone seen the movie Sweet Home Alabama? I love that movie. I hadn't seen it in ages, and then I watched it again over the Christmas break. Um, if you don't know the movie, it's about this girl, Melanie Reese Witherspoon, and she's from the deep south in the States. And um, when she's 18, she runs away from home and moves up to New York, becomes this fancy fashion designer. And then when she's 25, seven years later, has to travel back home to her parents. And basically, long story short, watch the movie. Her life is in tatters and falling apart, and she's not having a good day. And there she is sitting in her mum's lounge room, and her mum is behind her in the kitchen. Her mum makes the best jam in three counties, and she's sitting, standing there in the kitchen, cutting up some plums and Melanie's talking about how her life is in tatters basically and her mum has this one line which is this uh, some people might say that these plums are ruined that they're not good for anything but I think that it's the almost ruined ones that can make the sweetest jam you know, maybe last year, beginning of last year, full of hope and anticipation, you asked God metaphorically for a bag of really ripe plums ready to eat, but no more ripe, ready to eat. But you feel like what he's given you is a bag of ruined plums. And you're like, God, really? Is that all I'm worth? You've just given me this bag of ruined plums. What on earth am I going to do with that? Don't you love me? Who are you? What kind of good father gives their kid a bag of ruined plums? What could possibly come out of this? How could this possibly be for my good? And you know, somewhere just around the corner, somewhere just over the horizon, somewhere just beyond what you can see tonight, as you continue to trust his heart for you, when you can't understand what his hands are doing, he's going to show you that almost ruined plums are really great for making jam. <laughs> I don't know what that jam is. You're not going to know what that jam is. But God does. And just beyond the horizon of what you can see, he's going to show you that those ruined plums are great for making jam. It might be different to what you thought, but it will be beautiful. There will be beauty from your ashes. And in the meantime, would you take your if-onlys God, if only you had been here then. And would you let him respond to you so that you might experience the power of his presence in your pain, in your disappointment. And that presence will form the basis of hope for you as we move forward into 2017. Let me pray. Well, thanks for tuning in. If you'd like to find out more about Northside, visit northsidechurch.org.au.